in, it was a Korean game, so. Yeah, I haven't watched that yet, but we were going to watch it. The yeah. Squid Games? I, yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah, my son was kind of saying it gets, I mean, it gets, you know, pretty graphic because it's about yeah. kind of thinning the it tribe. Pretty intense. <laughs> and so then I watched it and it's like, I told my son, I go, okay, I'm, 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 uh, I'm disappointed in myself because I'm, I think I'm going to watch the whole thing now. I mean, the storylines, you know, it's pretty amazing. Because it's a TV series. Yeah, it's on Netflix. Yeah. And, yeah. and what's what's the premise again? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the premise is... Oh, go ahead. Well, no. So all I know about it, you probably know more. It's just they play games and it's basically life or death. But these people, it's for a large sum of money. Like, so oh, they no. have debts to pay or whatever. And then they get like this code that shows up and then it invites them into the game and then they have to play. So it's like red light, green light. But yeah. Yeah. if you like it, if you don't win you die <laughs> you know and all the, and basically all the people that are there are, are like in major debt or have you know i mean they just they're in need of money and so it's, hey. but yeah like kayla was saying it's like you know kid games you know child you know kid games but here's the thing that i learned though i because it is um closed caption watch the closed caption don't turn it on to english and have the you know do it in yeah english. I, it, yeah you can't watch things dubbed unless you absolutely have to i know well, and there's no reason why you absolutely have to, right? <laughs> All right, let's see here. Let me go live and then we will. All right, welcome to another episode of New Wine Uncorked, and we are stoked that you're joining us once again for uh, this live episode that you're, you can watch. If, if you're watching it live, you're on YouTube, so you already know about that. And then also, um, if you want to catch it afterwards or you want to share it with your friends, uh, it'll be uploaded uh, to YouTube, and then you can share that as a link. Um, also, it will be put on our Facebook page because we like to go across the uh, social media platforms. And so uh, go on over to Facebook forward slash New Wine, New Wine Skins. And then that way you can be made aware of anything that happens, such as yesterday or maybe it was two days ago uh, on the campus of Multnomah University. We had a economic conference or a seminar, a two hour seminar where there was presentations on the economic developments and and theological engagement of the economy, and that uh, had our director, the new wine director, Paul, Dr. Paul Mesker, um, part of that, and speaking um, on a panel. And so that also is going to be uploaded. The recording of that will be loaded onto our YouTube page, so you'll be able to catch that as well. Because the hope for new wine is to engage culture from a theological standpoint, which means for New Wine, it's, uh, we, we talk about building bridges, relational bridges in contemporary culture uh, through Christ. Um, and it's relational and it's seeking to uh, not only see the other, but uh, listen to the other so that we can be with the other. Because a lot of times when we talk about engagement, it typically comes from engagement from a majority group and it's an engagement from a very narrow perspective. It's how uh, that, that group wants to engage. And then what they do is uh, a lot of times then the groups that are engaged 
are then uh, manipulated or molded into a certain brand. And we've talked about this uh, um, even before we started. I was talking a little bit to, to Jim about his background and the Hawaiian background. We've talked about the doctrine of discovery and how the evangelical church so often has been that majority group who's engaged another people group and an engagement is a molding. It is a, a transformation of the person, not how Christ came to transform humanity, but it's a transformation more of a, in our image as opposed to Christ's image. And we don't transform people into the image of Christ. They already have that within them. And so when we talk about engagement from New Wine's standpoint, uh, it's relational in the sense that it has to include the other. The other is involved with that um, engagement. It's a, it's, a, it's a cooperation. And so for many times, what this creates is this uh, kind of uh, a feeling of being in between. And so today uh, we're going to continue our talk. This is always a continuation. Dialogue is a part of New Wine. And so part of the thing that uh, maybe you would have seen at the seminar on Wednesday was this idea of dialogue, going through the word, that we want to engage one another um, but the word is not a stagnant word for Christians because the word directly relates to Jesus Christ, who is God's word poured out for the sake of humanity. And so with that, then there's this talk for Christians about being in the world, but not of the world. So what does that look like, though? Because I'm in the world. But so often, I don't know what it means not to be of the world because I have a mortgage, I have rent, I have bills, I have a family to take care of. Just this past week, uh, my family's been uh, working through, um, my grandmother is 93. And so what, do we, what are the next steps? Um, if we were more back into the, I don't know when this stopped and, and for sure for the more of the, the white culture that the bringing in of our elders is not much a part of the culture. Whereas uh, I have some friends from uh, a Mexican culture, even the Asian culture. And I would imagine too, Jim, like with the Hawaiian culture where there's much more of that communal where the elders come and even live, you know, we have uh, uh, neighbors on both sides of our, uh, of us here in California where they have their, their parents living with them as they age. That's just not been a part of the culture I've grown up with. And so then it creates a lot of, well, what, what is the next step? But there's this in between because that's part of the world. And so being in the world and not of the world, what does the Christian do? And this Sunday, I, I think it's a, I, it's God's sense of humor when he puts a Halloween that falls on a Sunday. <laughs> I just don't know if that really <laughs> tweaks out a lot of uh, Christians like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if uh, many churches uh, encouraged costumes on Sunday morning. You know, I don't know. I mean, our church was not like, they're all gung ho about, Hey, Saturday, come to the trunk or treat as if that's not Halloween, we call it another name, you know? So they, again, that's just goes to the chaos or confusion. What does it mean to be in the world, but not of the world? And so we're continuing with this. And I don't know what your initial thoughts are when you hear that, when, when Christians say, Hey, I, we need to be in the world, but not of, what does that look like? And how does that actually like realistically play out? <laughs> Matt, you know, you bring up a really good point because, um, you know, for us, Halloween, you know, I mean, there's all these other things they say about Halloween, but it's like Halloween's Halloween, right? I mean, and it's kind of like we like participate in it because, uh, you know, you get candy and our kids get us candy. But then, you know, we feel like, well, if, if we call it a harvest party, 
then we're not of the world, right? I mean, it's yeah. kind of like, let's separate ourselves. So instead of saying Halloween, we'll say we're having a harvest party, but bring your costumes, you know, bring your pumpkins and um, we're going to have a harvest party. And so, it, you know, sometimes I wonder if it's just kind of a matter of semantics so that we feel like, you know, it's just, let's just call it this. And then we're not of the world, but it's like, you know what, let's, I mean, we're like, we're in the world, <laughs> you know, and, and so, yeah, I mean, that's a great question, though. Great question. And isn't there another one? Isn't there um, outside of Harvest Party? Isn't there like Jesus Ween or something like that? <laughs> you guys are really? About that? Jesus Ween? Really? <laughs> that's right. That's I right. That one. Oh, yeah, Jim, you, uh, the, so not last week, the week before that, we talked, I brought this up. I, I can't remember. Yeah, so we uh, there is an actual group that that uh, instead of celebrating Halloween, it's Jesus Ween, and so you wear white um, and you hand out. Uh, I believe they hand out tracks, the four spiritual laws and such, and so that's the way that they push against. And we were talking about that. Is that like would that be the righteous Christian thing to do because it's separated? You know, talk about sanctity and obviously sanctification is a separation. You know, making holy. Is that what uh, the Bible is talking about with the sanctification or is that one step too far where it's not now no longer in the world? You are clearly uh, uh, demarcating the difference from the world. So we were talking about that. So it's a real thing. <laughs> but, but I mean, it brings up a great point is what does it mean to be in the world and not of the world? Right. I mean, is it is it a matter of titles or is it a matter of the heart? And so. Jesus ween. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think what you brought up there, Jim, was exactly the point, though, is, is it something where we just change the title of things or just add Jesus to the title of something? Does that mean that we're not of the world when we do it that way? Or is it a matter of the heart? Is it a way that we perceive the world differently than those who are unbelievers, who are outside the people of God? Do we perceive the world? Do we love? Do we relate to other people differently? Um, it's kind of the thing where I start where, yeah, I look at the world differently because I'm a Christian. I allow the Holy Spirit, allow the scriptures to be the thing that guides how I look at the world. So, yeah. 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 You know, and even, yeah, no. Did you have some? Because I was going to say too, it's the way we look at the world. But also then, because again, like we go back to these, uh, these key um, events in that, cause I don't like on the small things, I think as a Christian, for me, as a follower of Christ, like, cause we even, I use even use the language where I'll talk about the Christians as if I'm not a Christian, because I wrestle sometimes with over labeling, you know, because of the people in our media who tend to represent whatever Christian looks like, I kind of recoil sometimes, you know, um, there's this dude who is doing a lot of work on Bonhoeffer and he's more of a modern guy, but he associated with him, himself with like more of the, the right side of the political spectrum. And so what I found was it tainted his theology, not like, because it taints my theology too. When I, when I, um, get in, 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 in tight with a, a certain group, if I don't allow other groups in, and so that's where I'm talking about, like when, when we talk about like this, the stepping into, I have so many influences. And so these different worlds and we, so we, what we hear, you know, what we're reading it, I find it problematic though, because like I'm helping out some students, you know, who are working with their doctorate uh, degrees, uh, even through like Multnomah and some other schools. And what I find is 
what we learn though is so much driven by the people pouring into us. So Phil, like you're talking how it's the way our perspective. And uh, we had a meeting um, the other day, we were talking about this, this word, talk about words, Jim, worldview. Hmm. Well, when you say a Christian worldview, some people think, oh yeah, well, that's good because we need a Christian worldview, but it's, it's sometimes limiting because again, what defines that Christianity? Is it the Christianity goes back to like 385 or so with Constantinople in our Constantine where Christianity was the legal religion, right? But even when it was legal and it was the, the primary religion, the Christians were not the ones that were leading by example because we're so caught up in the world. So being in the world still, sometimes I think we forget though that in the world, if we're not careful, we quickly become of the world without even realizing it because it's like that slow poison. You know, before you know, it's the, uh, I used to tell my kids, it's like we're the the, the frog in the kettle and they're like, mm. or frog in the pot, like uh, what you use it all the time. You know, it's, well, yeah, it's this slow cooking thing. By the time that we're roasted, we don't even know it, you know? And so I don't know how many Christians, like when we talk about this and, and that's why the seminar on Wednesday was so key is when we're talking about economic development, that hits across the spectrum because whether you're rich or you're poor, the fact is, is that every day you're going to deal with some sort of financial economic status. So, so how do you build into that though, Phil? Because like what I'm finding is if I'm not uh, 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 intentionally exposing myself to other thoughts, because, you know, when it came to like the critical race theory, like I have a pretty decent understanding of it, but wow, when I started reading a little bit more about it, I didn't realize there are people on all spectrums of the positive aspect of it, the negative aspect of it. Oh, well, how this critical race theory is different than 10 years ago when it, you know, and I'm like, so uh, this communal aspect is what I found is like, so talking about this in between, I'm like, gosh, it really does matter what community you set yourself in. Absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, absolutely. Just like, you know, we're looking on this Zoom and there's four boxes here. And we've consistently talked about this um, throughout this, throughout our YouTube streams, where we love easy answers. We love to put someone in a box, put a perspective in a box and say, these are the parameters. Knowing the moment you ask, ask someone within that box, how do they feel about X, Y, or Z is going to totally wreck the box. And so, and so that's the thing that we end up having to work with as Christians or as just people living in the world. Don't look for easy answers. But when we look for the relational aspect and get to actually see what people think, believe, understand, um, it just changes our perception because it increases our awareness. It increases our consciousness of what people are about. And um, it helps us understand how God demonstrates love to people. So that, that changes our perspective of how we look at the world, just knowing that, yeah, man, this person that may be very crazy, may be looking for someone to be president in, in four, in, in three years that was president a couple of years ago. And uh, we're like, yo, this person's crazy. And they're like, nah, they just have a different perspective when it comes to the presidency or about culture than I do. Maybe. But, uh, <laughs> but we have all these contrasting opinions. We can't put people in boxes and we have to actually listen to see what we're actually seeing. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's key. Uh, the active listening part, we we tend to, and this is what the Bible says too. Like we, I mean, it's cheesy, but we have two ears and one mouth, right? Like we're supposed to listen more than we speak, um, and I that is the key part of relationality, building building a community 
is sitting with people and listening to them, seeing them for who they are and where they're at. And I think also part of our, our problem with Christianity is we're too used to defending God. Um, we feel like we get automatically defensive. We don't want to sit and listen to these perspectives or opinions or thoughts that might differ from ours in certain ways, because we feel like, well, that's not like, that's not the truth. That's not right. And instead of just listening and sitting and being with that person in a loving manner and, and accepting them for who they are and where they're at, there, there's more that it can come from that than just jumping on. Like God does not need our defense. He, he is, he is. And if we believe that, if we trust that in who he says he is, then we don't need to defend him. We can just sit with people where they're at and probably gain more from that um, than jumping to God's defense. Which is, it, it brings up the uh, interesting point too of we don't need to defend God. And yet what, uh, we're, we're, what Paul tells Timothy is always be ready to give an answer, you know, a reason, a reason for your hope. And a lot of um, Christian universities will use that as apologetics. And, and then the apologetics becomes much more like what you're talking about, Kayla, is this aggressive defense. Um, and, you know, Dr. Mesker talks about all the time, uh, 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 evidence demanding a verdict, uh, here's a verdict demanding evidence, you know, how like the evangelical church talks about like, oh, there's all this evidence and then it demands a verdict for us. But the verdict's already been given is what Dr. Mesker talks about that Jesus's verdict. And I think this is what tweaks out so many uh, people of faith is that Jesus's verdict is that you're good. Like he looks at us and he goes, you're good. And, and yet when you look around social media, you see all this shit that's like filtering through the humanity and you go, is Jesus like smoking crack? Because like the world that he's looking at is not the same world that I'm looking at. Cause I'm like these people around me, like I went in yesterday to, you know, like of all places, you would think like a, a, a nugget or a Trader Joe's with these kind of like organic -y kind of uh, uh, stuff that the people would be a bit more organic and that like this idea of loving the other, you know, and again, these are all assumptions and projections from Matt Farlow onto all these people at Trader Joe's, but it just surprises me when you go into, and it's a very community driven kind of store if anyone's been around Trader Joe's. And it's so shocking to me for some reason, when I see people aggressively not wearing their mask. And when I say aggressive, you can see folks who were, like you're, if you get to a store and you just forget or something, you're like, oh my gosh, you have to get in, you know, run in and you don't have a mask, even still carry a mask, you know, but it's interesting when I see people aggressively going against what the store is asking. And so that's where like, and especially too, when I see people who I know say that they're Christian because I've seen them at church. I've talked to them. You know, the, the town that we live in is not so huge to where you could see people on Sunday and then also see them on Wednesday and stuff. And then you're like, huh, Sunday you were different because in church you had your mask, all that kind of thing. Or, and, and so this is where this idea of the, the influence again in the community that we're coming into, because then if I get around people who are pro other, meaning, hey, we're trying to intentionally not just 
see the other, but how is it that we can embrace one another and be embraced by them? And that's where I think that the ways of Jesus sometimes when he says that that other in front of me is good and I'm looking at them and they're just being a jack mo, they have no mask and they're being mean to the, the, the checker. And I'm like, I just want to hit you. And yet Jesus is just sitting there going, ah, that person needs to be hugged, man. They need to be loved. And I'm like, not from me. I don't have it in me. Right. Like, because sometimes I'm just like, you know, and yet that's the thing I know because I know I'm that person to other people. You know, I know I'm the person in front of Jim half the time in Starbucks fumbling and going, oh my gosh, what am I doing? You know, and, and I could just see. So how is it though, that we get, it, the weird thing is, is we have to somewhat distance ourselves from ourselves so that my ego and my, all my uh, self thoughts kind of get drained out so that it doesn't matter what the world thinks of me when I'm turning to this person or embracing them, even though like, cause a lot of times I'm mean to someone, this is just a, a, a testimony time, right? When, uh, a lot of times I mean to people sometimes because I feel like they need to learn, you know, like if I don't, if I'm not mean to them, or if I, if I'm not a little off, like a little aggressive, then they're not going to know that they're being a jackbo, you know? And yet if the, what the Bible says is true, I don't have to convict anyone from sin because guess what? That's what the Holy spirit does. So how do I, like, what are some of the things that you find? Like for me, um, when we talked about this community, learning to listen in the community of people who I trust so as to hear how they engage the world. Because so often when I seek to engage the world and I'm just left on my own, you know, trying to do it Matt's ways, that's when the anger and the frustration in, in, until I'm with other folks who I, I hear them and how they engage in their hearts. I'm like, dude, how do you do that? And just learning from other people to me seems like one of the most liberating and freeing things. And yet, almost the most anti-American to learn and to embrace others ways so as to be free. It's like, that's where they're like, whoa, whoa, no. How do we continue to press into that though and not be, you know, obnoxious and aggressive like so many others in our, especially when faith and religion come into it? Yeah. One of the, one of the things I think is really important when we think of that is, um, humility mm. um, humility at the center of it knowing that it's not matt it's not your responsibility to teach the person that they're being an a-hole at the time <laughs> that's never your responsibility unless it is but <laughs> but the holy spirit's to do that and understanding that any day of the week we're that a-hole instead of the other person that needs to be taught um so understanding that yeah any and we look at the world all the same things where anyone that we look at, we think that we're greater than them in some form or fashion that change a couple of things about your life and you're them. Where the thing where you look at your, look at someone else's life and you think, well, I'll never ever be like that. Change two or three things about your life and that's your reality in, in a second. And so that kind of thing. Um, there was one more point I had to that humility and there's one other one, um, but um, I can't remember it. So I'm just gonna- I like humility it. though. Yeah. Humility. Better. Humility is a hard thing, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of the things you're describing about the world, you know, being being in the world or being in our community and, and seeing people reacting or acting like this. I mean, the reality is it's happening in the church. I, I mean, mm. it's, you know, and like you talked about the... Um, the guy that's, you know, doing the work with Bonhoeffer, but has more of a, you know, the leaning, you know, more a conservative leaning. And I, 
you know, and I just think that um, it, the world is coming into the church. I mean, that's the challenge. My daughter has, um, so my daughter's using the term deconstruction, right? And so, you know, for me, it kind of like, it, it rears its head up, you know, ever so often. And I'm telling my daughter, I'm like, you know, because I just kind of see it as this, is this ongoing, but it's like, okay, stop already. We've already deconstructed. And so, and so for me, I'm kind of like, you know what, just stop it already. This, you know, I, we've been deconstructing for 10 years. Let's start rebuilding. But as I'm talking to her, you know, what she is deconstructing right now is Christian nationalism. I mean, she is deconstructing what's come in politically into the church, right? I mean, so then when you have people say, Jesus Christ died for our freedom, it's like, dude, no, he did not. <laughs> you know, it's like, and so for her, you know, I mean, like we use terms like evangelicalism. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a political term. I mean, we have to qualify ourselves. And I even remember a few years back where I was at a Wild Goose West, you know, um, uh, conference and, and sitting by somebody. And, and I remember them saying, and you know, it's more progressive, but I remember somebody saying, oh yeah, I'm a, what is it? A, a recuperating, you know, evangelical. I'm like, really? You know, I mean, I am. And so, but it's just interesting because there's certain terms that have been kidnapped or hijacked. And so how do, you know, like, even when you say the term Christian, I mean, how do we, you know, are, are we to maybe reclaim those terms? Um, let people know that evangelicalism is not, you know, being a Republican. I mean, it's, and so it's, it's those kind of things. And so, you know, so that's her deconstruction. And so, you know, we're like into these discussions now of her trying to deconstruct this kind of Christian nationalism. And so, and I think it's harder to have conversations sometimes. I mean, it's sad enough, I think. Um, I mean, I think there are some churches where you can do this, but sad enough, you have to almost go outside of the church because it's so homogenized. People are so, if you talk about, you know, multi-ethnicity, racism, people get upset. And I don't know what it is about why people take it so personally. They What they do is they leave, instead of engaging the conversation, they leave and what do they find? They find another church that believes in what they do. And so that's the, I mean, you know, when I look at the church, even Corinthians, they, you know, they talk about love. We always get back to love. You know, we use that in, in wedding. People like to use it in weddings. But I mean, the church in Corinth, I mean, they were like, they had problems. I mean, they had some big, big issues. And really, Paul's kind of coming in. And like when he's, you know, I was reading, somebody says, like when he says, do not envy, if you take away the do, do not part, that really kind of identifies what's going on in the Corinthian church is envy, boastfulness, and all this stuff. And we look at our church today. And, and so, you know, I think it's just that idea that we just, the defending, the arguing, and all that, instead of engaging people with love, you know, instead of engaging, and what is, you know, and so what does that look like? Because even Paul says, okay, I told you what the gifts of the Spirit are, I told you, but you know what, here's the cool thing, here's what's most important of all, and then he goes into this discussion of love, and so, you know, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, so, you know, when you talk about, you know, being in the world, but not of the world, it's kind of like, well, the world is in the church, right, <clears throat> and so I think people, when Christians treat other people like that, that's how they're treating one another. And so unless the church can learn to love one another, love each other, and not be a church where we, we you know, I mean, we can share, you know, we can share, well, to the triune God. I mean, we, we share that, yeah. you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a relational peace. Jesus Christ died for us demonstrating his love, right? I mean, if we can just say, okay, let's just start from there and let's have a discussion and let's just stay in the discussion. That's, I think, what's key. But we want to align ourselves with people that 
oh, hey, you know, we're, we're maskers, right? I mean, it's, it's nuts what, how we try to identify or the people we gravitate to or even what a church is known for, you know? Oh, yeah, we're, you know, we're the church of the anti-mask. We're the church of the masks. We're the church. You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> wait a minute. It will, it, with the, the, the masking and even the vaccination, you know, I was asking someone like, because if Jesus were here, which he is, this is supposed to be the church. We talk about this, you know, the, the church always calls the Christians, uh, the hands and feet of God kind of thing. And so what would Jesus do? Would he vaccinate or not? You know, and, uh, I, I was talking to a group and it came up, well, but Jesus would pray and he wouldn't need to, he's the son of God and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but then why does he get baptized? You know, like, why was he baptized? What was the point of being baptized? Because he's not getting baptized for the covering of his sin, right? He's not getting baptized to, uh, as a public proclamation. I mean, the public proclamation uh, for him was the fact that he just walked around. People knew that he was, they were drawn. So there could be. So maybe the, the baptism is public proclamation. Maybe it has something to do with sin. The point is, is he's showing us something, right? He's exemplifying something. And I, I go back to that constantly when i hear um people from the church talking about anti-vaccination anti-mask and i'm like but would that be the the jesus response would the jesus response be anti because what you're saying then is because you know usually with the vaccination i'm hearing uh it's not researched it's not you know not enough years and all this kind of thing and yet they're willing to put so many other chemicals in their body without them being fully researched. Okay. We're willing to get in the car, which is one of the most dangerous places for the human to be right. Uh, we're willing to eat sugar, like a, a ton of sugar, which is one of the, uh, in, in overconsumption is dangerous for our heart and for our body. And, but when Jesus is brought into the mix, I'm like, I just don't know. Did not Jesus, you know, the son of God, equip the human with brains to create things, to create uh, uh, vaccinations, to create, uh, you know, we splint broken uh, bones now. Well, that's because our brains have told us and we evolved from, you know, two sticks in a, in a, in a string of leaves tied around our, our, our leg because it's crooked, right? Now we actually have, I mean, uh, my sister is, I, she probably considers herself an extreme athlete, which at her age, you know, when we hit forties and she runs every day, she is an extreme athlete. She really is. Right. But because of that extremeness, she tends to, she has gone through injuries. And so we have a crap ton of these braces and ankle things and foot stuff. Well, that's the evolution of the, the, the mind of the way in which we think about, you know, medical things. She's not anti any of that stuff. And most of us are not anti any of any of those. You know, we go to the dentist for what, you know, because we are not anti straight teeth and, and clean teeth, I guess, you know, like these kind of things. And so I just wonder when we talk about, again, in the world, but not other world, how often, though, when we're in the world is our inness? minus Christ imminence. You know, when we talk about theological things, imminence and transcendence, the imminence is the immediateness, the, the presence, the right here and now of Jesus. Well, according to the Bible, he is right here and now if the church is more the church and not like what you're saying, Jim, the church is the world just 
poured out, you know, uh, with the clothing of the church, right? And so then what though on a daily basis do I have to be mindful of so that I don't fall into these same things? Because that in-betweenness has got to be one of the most difficult places to be as a Christian. And yet that's where Jesus lived. He lived in the in-between, in-between eternity and temporality, in-between uh, thy will be done in heaven and what is be done being done here on earth, you know, that in-betweenness. And so we need to be the spark. We need to be the picture. We need to be the full pouring out of love. But that means we need to first define love. And so like you were saying, Jim, we have this image in front of us. We have this truth in front of us, this relational truth called the Trinity. And if we step further into it, though, there's this love that just calls me to to think and, and to act in ways that I don't want to. It stretches me. There's never a time where Jesus balked at going and doing what he was called to do with the, the, the living out the evangelical aspect. Right. He was an evangelical Leon, the good news. He was all about the good news, but his willingness to whatever a case might be. Right. Each one of us is called in to pick up our cross and that looks different. So for me to project on to Phil or Phil to project on to Jim or Jim to project on to Kayla, what that must look like is, I, I guess you could almost say it borders on sin, right? Because then it's our will as opposed to God's will. How do I do that though? In a level though, that's loving because the people in front of me and Kayla's, we've been working through this like uh, with uh, university students. And when she, before she graduated, there are a lot of views of Jesus that are just seemingly unbiblical, but it's about Jesus and they put, throw in love. And so how do you engage that within the evangelical world, even before going to, to folks who are antagonistic or just don't care about Jesus? How do, you, how do we engage that within our own realm of religion where there's just these multiple views? Because there's plenty of churches in our area who are willingly saying, hey, if you need a, a letter or if you need something to be anti-vax, anti-mask, we will be your refuge. And I'm like, is that the refuge that Jesus is talking about, that the church is supposed to be the refuge for that? You know, so how is it that we engage other Christians, though, who believe that they are of the way and they are of the truth and they are of the Jesus of the Bible? Yeah, yeah I wonder if um, talking about, yeah, I mean, we talk about love. And so I think we're all capable of it. To a certain extent, I mean, if, if we're to say, okay, and so then, you know, sometimes it's hard to apply it maybe to people, but I mean, the bottom line, what Jesus did was he, he demonstrated that everybody was deserving of love. You know, I mean, he, he, and he just kind of walked in that situation. I mean, he was self-giving. And so there is a certain amount of self-sacrifice on our part, if we're going to, if we're going to be willing to love everybody, or if we, you know, if we're believing that, um, Everybody is deserving of life and love. And so that self-sacrifice might be our, you know, whether it be political views, whether it be, you know, I mean, all these things, all these things that, that, you know, are, are valuable and, you know, and, and we hold so closely. But I mean, if we, if we look at the other and just say, you know, they are deserving of love, try to figure out how, you know, how would I want to be loved in that situation? Yeah, something I have to constantly remind myself um, when I'm interacting with really anyone, but honestly, it's almost easier for me to interact with someone on the corner of a street than to interact with some of these people in churches of wholesome, wholesome. Um, it's just, I, I have a hard time sometimes, and people say that. 
that phrase, wholesome, wholesome, that's an actual thing. Um, yeah, <laughs> that just gives you the vibe, you know, of how it is. Um, but I have to remind myself, they are image bearers of God, just as much as I am. So if I think I am holier than thou, if I think, you know, like these people are weird, these people are crazy or like, I don't, I don't really care to even enter into conversation with you. Cause I don't really think that you'll even want to have dialogue, you know, like that is me projecting onto them. And that's me shutting down any interaction before it even begins and forgetting they bear the image of God just as much as I do. Um, they're created in, in his image and made good and made beautiful. And so I should, I should give them a chance. I should, you know, seek to love them. And maybe that is in that moment, not interacting for both of our sake. Maybe that is, you know, just a passing wave, or maybe that's, Hey, how are you doing? And when I ask that, I'm ready to sit down and actually listen to their answer and how they're doing and not just be like, yep, good, cool. All right. And pass by, you know, so we have to be willing to really step into what it means to be image bearers of Christ and what that means when we interact with one another. I think that's probably the hardest part for me is constantly reminding myself of that but also stepping into that and saying, if we bear the image of Christ, what does that mean? And what does that mean inside and outside of the church as people who proclaim like, yes, I follow this Jesus guy. Um, he is my savior. And this is, this is the life that I lead. And in that, like we are called to hold each other accountable, but in love, um, in loving ways, it doesn't look like walking up to people pointing in their face and yelling at all the things that they're doing wrong. Um, it probably looks more like the conversation and starting with how are you doing? Um, what's going on? Because like you said, Phil, there are only a few aspects of people's lives that really differ to where we can end up exactly where they're at for better or for worse. Right. Um, and I think that is also part of it. Like we're all image bearers of Christ. Thus, we are not that different from one another. We all inherently have a lot of the same qualities. And when we sit with that and when we get past, you know, whatever, feelings of, oh my gosh, I can't be that similar to, to her. Uh, are you kidding me? Like, no. Uh, when we get past that, when we get over ourselves, then we can actually sit with people and react in love and, and see them and have those conversations, whether they're, you know, uncomfortable for us. I think that's when growth happens. I think that's when, when love happens, when we sit and we have to get over ourselves, um, we're able to be like, Hey, how are you? And, and maybe that conversations when we can call people out, call each other out and be willing to be called out ourselves. And like, yeah, you know what? I, I probably shouldn't have said that, or I shouldn't have reacted in that way. I shouldn't have done this or yeah, you know what? I need to do more of this. Um, thank you for seeing me and, and for taking interest and in investing in, in my life and where I'm at with Jesus, just as much as I'm investing in you. 
thanks for noticing that. Thanks for saying something, having that like change in perspective. It's really hard, but that's something that I'm, I'm working towards. Yeah. 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 Okay. I love that. What you're saying, Kayla, because I, you know, earlier you were talking about, um, you know, we're not called to defend God. We're not called to defend our faith. And sometimes I think we're not really defending God. We're defending us, right? I mean, we're defending our beliefs and all those things. And so I think you're, I mean, I think you nailed it, but also what I'm hearing you say is it's like the, um, the woman at the well, right? I mean, Jesus was kind of like the master of like changing up the subject. And so he, you know, so then he has this theological discussion and he realizes it's, you know, okay, you know, I mean, for whatever reason, but then it gets personal, right? I mean, it gets personal about the person's life. And so, Kayla, I wonder if what maybe part of that, at least what I'm learning or I'm thinking through is that instead of trying to defend, right, because it's, but what happens, I mean, how do we get past that changing the subject to just saying, Okay, how's your soul doing? I mean, I don't know about you, but this COVID thing, this mask, I mean, all this arguing has just beaten me down and I feel discouraged. I mean, are, are you feeling discouraged? You know, and, and maybe the commonness is or, or, or the is to seek that commonness, right? I mean, I mean, one of the things is just the agony, the pain, the grief that we're going through, the lament, and maybe going from there and, and just um, connecting at that level instead of this surfacey talk, you know, um, Oh, you know, I mean, the way Jesus just kind of gets to the bottom of things, you know, just changes that subject. But I think you're, you know, I think you're right, Kale. I think it's, you know, and, and you were talking about bridge building. You started by saying bridge building. And, and sometimes I wonder if we're more about defending our bridge, right? I mean, we want to make sure that we got to get, we got to make sure of this. But instead of defending the bridge is like, you know, just how do we let people in? You know, how do we let people in? How do we get yeah. to a point where, you know what, I completely disagree with them, but you know what? they can sit at my table, you know, because they're hurting. Um, and again, maybe that's that way. This is how I can, you know, this, you know, this person is worth loving. And maybe when we do see that pain instead of, you know, these outside things. So, yeah, you know, I, I like that idea, you know, is that discussion, Kayla, that you're yeah. talking about is that, def, you know, defending, defending the bridge. Or are we letting people in? Are we getting to the deeper things that really do matter? I mean, the things that Jesus touched about the soul, um, how, you know, how are we doing? How are you doing? And even saying, you know, being honest that, you know what, I'm not doing good. I'm, I'm having a really, really hard time with this, because you know, and, and but really what I long for is just uh, whatever. And so. It's a, uh, it's, it, yeah, because with that relational component comes, um, the difficulty, you know, and I think sometimes as, as Christians, we will throw out these things that sound awesome, you know, love the, the sinner, but hate the sin, you know, and it's very relational. We've talked about this, you know, how do you, I just don't know the person in front of me. The reality is, is we talk within our Christian circles that they're not what they do. Um, because part of being human, we have attributed being human as, oh, to sin is to be human. Um, Shakespeare says to err is human, you know, that's more along the biblical things as opposed to, to sin, because to say that to be human is to sin means that, you know, you throw so much theological, uh, uh conundrums on there with Jesus, because then he wouldn't be fully human, right? If it, and yet, even in that aspect of the sin is not the person I myself find it hard to separate the person from their acts because even what Jesus says, you know, they'll know you by your fruit. 
He condemns the tree because it's lack of fruit, right? And it didn't produce. And so the tree was bound up with what it did, what it did not produce. And same thing with that, uh, the woman at the well, you're right, Jim. He steps into it though. And instead of it being about her many husbands or, or this and that, it is about her soul. It's about her. And Jesus all knowing, you know, in knowing about the person in front of him still embraces her and listens to her. You know, it's, uh, uh, um, I was talking with a, a dude and he's talking about, um, you know, Jesus's interaction with people. I think it's from Mark nine with the, uh, the leader, uh, the, who's got the son who's been possessed and he comes and asks Jesus for healing. And Jesus says, your son is healed. And at that moment that he said it, cause the son wasn't there, he was healed. But before that, he sits down with the man and, and he listens. It says, Jesus listened to him. And this is the thing is that Jesus knew what was wrong. He knew a number of times we, we were told Jesus knows what's in their hearts. And yet he still asked them the question, what is it? You know, the two brothers, what is it that you're contending about? Because when you, uh, Kayla, you talked about this, when you actively listen, you have to be engaged with the person even before they're engaged with you. You have to be intentional. And this is, I was talking with my mom because this past week, um, she did uh, take time out to go and spend time with my grandmother. And it was hard. Uh, and I was talking to her about what pastoral care is. This is why many are not called into pastoral care. I know we're all talk about ministries, ministers of reconciliation. We all have a ministerial part. But this is why when I get into church leadership, I, I am resolutely, there's not very many things I'm like, I will hold to, but the calling into church leadership, the calling in, because Jim, you know, Phil, you know, Kaylee, you know, with their church, each one of us has church leadership. If you've been around people in church leadership who are just doing it for a job and it's not a calling, there is a distinct differences to the way in which we embrace people if it's our job, if we have to, as opposed to if I'm called into this ministry, there's not one time where Jesus pisses and moans about the people in front of him. He never once says these freaking people, right? What he says is when he says it is, it, it is, if you only knew how much I loved you, like a mother loves her, like a mother hen, like to gather up her chicks, like it's never in condemnation. You know, it's never condemning them. It's never in judgment. Like you're saying, Kayla, with that finger pointed in that you're a piece of, it's always like, oh my gosh, as the person. And I love those moments where the spirit just convicts me and he doesn't convict me of my sin. What he convicts me of is my lack of embracing the love that Jesus has for me says, dude, why do you think you're such a big piece of, because you're not. Like Jesus loves you so much. And I love those moments where I'm just brought to my knees and tears flow only because I've neglected receiving this love that pours out from the cross. And I feel like if we, um, within the church, we're just honest with ourselves and says, yeah, you know what? The world can see it as weakness, but I am in need and I'm in need of the other strength. And I need, you know, you, Jim, to continue to tell me about uh, 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 your background. And I need you, Phil, to tell me about the work that you're doing here, because it, it, it's a form of embracing my soul. And like when I uh, get coffee with Kayla and she tells me about some of the things that she's doing with her students and tutoring, and that feeds into me because it reminds me of the goodness that we are created in, you know, and I feel like so often we push back against the community because 
we have to we have to look at ourselves in the world tells me though that i'm meant for the other of the world tells me the other is nothing more than a resource or a tool for me to utilize in order to get ahead you know and i find that like jim you're talking it seems like we all we know we all love we know we're all capable of it we know because even the most staunch aggressive person against god they still know what it means to love someone in their lives right love is that universal what is it the, like for each one of you like for me i don't know what it is that hinders me so much from loving and in, in not loving the other loving myself receiving the love of god like why is it that we have such a hard time with that yeah with receiving the love of god i think it's in part we we this is going to sound weird as I say it, but we don't believe the gospel. Like we think we're, we look at us and say, well, there's no way God would love this person. You know, if he knew who I really was, he actually wouldn't love me. Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of at the heart of the gospel. And I, I don't seem to be lovable. Yeah. God loves me. And that's part of why Jesus came and died on the cross because yeah, we're not lovable, but he made us lovable you know, and that's, and that's the, becomes the crux of it, and so we want to give that same love to other people, and it's like, whoa, well, if I'm lovable, if I'm not lovable, then they're definitely not lovable either, (laughs) (laughs) so why do I want to share this same sacrificial love, but because I was made lovable, man, God makes them lovable too, and so we then have to show that same love to, to others, so yeah, there it is. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to see our own worth. I think you nailed it, Phil. Um, we don't really believe the Gospels. Do we really believe? Because it is uncomfortable when we sit there and have to sit with ourselves and really evaluate, like, can, can this God really, really love me? Like, he says he does, but do I believe that he loves me like my, all my darkness, all my thoughts, all he sees that he knows me and yet he still loves me. Um, and I think that's, that is probably one of the biggest struggles. Um, and yet if we don't constantly wrestle with that, then there's no way that we can go out and love others. There's no way that we can live and believe that they are image bearers of Christ and, and they do deserve love that they are loved. And that's our command. If we don't first start with ourselves, um, and that should be one of the things that we constantly daily struggle with that we wrestle with God. And we're like, yeah, you know what? Like you're, you're right. Um, but I, I need to work on believing that you're right. Yeah, I would agree with Kayla. It's just that daily convincing. I mean, it's not like one of those things. You know, the other thing too is um, it's so intangible. I mean, you know, I mean, we can say, yeah, I felt loved when, you know, at the birth of my child, or I felt loved when I received this. But I mean, to say, you know what, somebody died for you just because, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's like, what? I mean, how does that, you know, I mean, we're. I guess it's like when maybe when Paul talked about love, when he says, well, we look in a mirror dimly, but really, I mean, part of it is, I mean, it is that act of faith. It is that act of faith to say, okay, you know, and like Phil says, we doubt, the, I mean, we don't understand the gospel fully, you know, and so I guess maybe that we can only do as best as we can, but I think it's just, what, it, you know, I mean, we, we talk about it, you know, being loved unconditionally, and we try to convince ourselves, but I mean, we've, I mean, 
we've, at least for me, tangibly, I've never had somebody just say, hey, I will, you know, maybe my parents come really close to it. But, you know, but to, to think that somebody, you know, in spite of, you know, when I mess up or do something wrong, you know, to think, wow, well, at least God still loves me. I mean, we, it's more like we're trying to convince ourselves when we say that instead of really feeling that, you know what, he really, really does. Yeah. It's like a story. This is the weird thing. And, and this is what I love about your uh, preface, Phil, when you start talking about it, you say it sounds weird. Because nothing about the Christian narrative, like when I pick up the Bible, seems normal to me, you know, and yet we as Christians want to make it seem like this is the most normal thing ever, right? The raising of the dead, this dude who like talks to, you know, uh, uh, trees, you know, I mean, dude, when we were, when I was going to school at Davis, like people who talked to trees and hugging them and stuff, they were like out there in the fringe and all that where Jesus would be all, hey, tree good tree, you know, okay, you tree, die tree, you know, because it's like, so this stuff that he's doing, it is, it is all bizarre. The most bizarre is like you were saying, Jim, that wait, unconditionally love me. And I feel, yeah, sometimes we, we continually talk it out because we're like, this can't be true. And I'm like, all these, when I sit back and go, I always, I'm always concerned, wait, is this just God, a projection of my brain, someone I need him. And then I'm like, these millions of people though, have these same kind of thoughts that we're all taught. The four of us here questioning it is not something abnormal within the Christian world. I guarantee every Christian who ever has come across the space of the earth in the cross history has had these questions of like, there's no way that God can unconditionally love me, let alone all these people around us, you know, and that to me in, in and of itself has to be some type of verdict, some type of evidence that gives us clear indication that there's something beyond the human, right? There is something, whether you want to name it God or father, son, spirit, the fact is that we can, we have a starting point. We all have a starting point, right? We all this. And this is the point of new wine, new wine schemes is recognizing the similarities as well as the differences so that in our diversity, we can see the beauty of our oneness. You know, it's never a homogenizing to where you become nothing and you, you fade into this abyss of unknownness. In fact, it's the quite opposite. It is the embrace of your individualness so as to then grow into the to beautiful mosaic of the community. And this is the continued dialogue. We're going to be uploading um, the, the video that uh, went from Wednesday's the community developments. And so we highly suggest that to, and encourage uh, folks to go and watch that. Next week on uh, New Wine and Cork, we'll continue this discussion on what does it mean to be the community of believers who are wrapped in this Yuangalian, this good news. On Tuesday, so we have other platforms for those of you that uh, uh, follow us on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, we've been starting this new platform called Clubhouse, which is a mobile app. And on there, you have uh, um, in-room discussions. And so it's it's not video. It's, uh, it's like a conference. It's like a, a podcast, but then it's interactive podcasting. So check out Clubhouse. And on Tuesday mornings, we uh, New Wine has a group that gets together for these discussions. And so you can put it on and you listen in. And this Tuesday, we're going to continue the discussion on the community economic development that started with the seminar on Wednesday. What does it mean for the Christian to be involved in community economics? You know, when you talk about money, we start to get into that weird, you know, you start talking about community and money. People hear socialism and communism and oneness and we share. Whoa, is that 
well, is it biblical? What is the biblical precepts? And it goes right along with this. What does it mean to love the other holistically? You know, the good Samaritan loved the other. How did they? We often think about service, but the good Samaritan loved by putting out an exceptional amount of money. Didn't even care. Didn't even ask how much it cost, right? It was just to take care of the fees. So what does that mean? So if you're interested in that, go to Clubhouse and then look up New Wine, New Wine Skins um, and download it. And if you have any questions or anything, just email New Wine, uh, New Wine at uh, gmail.com. Uh, and I'll put the email up there on our uh, YouTube so that you can be involved in the ongoing discussions that we have at New Wine. And of course, every Friday, 10 a.m., tell your friends because uh, you won't find three better minds here between Jim, Phil, and Kayla. And I'm just along for the ride and I totally appreciate it. But engaging this, and we want just the real tangible, because like Jim's saying, this divine love sometimes seems so intangible, but that's the problem with me, right? Because the more tangible I am in loving you, the more tangible this divine love becomes. And so we're so stoked that you joined us this Friday. We look forward to next Friday. Look at all the opportunities right underneath the uh, the uh, YouTube description right there. Go right on there, hit subscribe. And right when you hit that right next to it will be a bell. And then if you ding the bell, click the bell and highlight it, then anytime a video comes up or anytime we go live on YouTube, you will be notified. And that way you can participate with New Wine in our seeking out and our, and our hope to build relational bridges in contemporary culture through Jesus Christ. So again, on behalf of Jim and Phil and Kayla, I'm Matt. And this has been another episode of New Wine Uncorked. Until next Friday, we'll see you on the flip side. Have a good one. Sweet. All right. Um, yeah. So I'm going to post the, uh, I don't know if you, if you um, no one, if you didn't get a chance to go on Wednesday, uh, uh, they didn't do it live, but I got the recorded video. So I'm going to put it up on YouTube. I'm going to make some points. So that if you, uh, either, any of you three don't get a chance to watch it, I'm going to make some points and I'll send them to you just so we can have that as part of the discussion. Like, how does the economy, why does it matter for Christians to worry about community economic development kind of thing? So, and especially too, with the stuff that you're doing, Phil, with like the Portland Rescue Mission, just finances always come into that, you know, folks that are down and out. So I'll make some points just in case, because uh, I think it was a, an hour or so recording. I'll go back and look. It might be a lot, but at least that that's what we'll we'll continue next Friday. And then also the two of you, if you want to join us uh, Tuesday, we're going to do it at 830. I think a uh, former um, advisory council, uh, Bob and Cookie Wall, um, they're going to be leading the discussion. Bob uh, and Cookie drove. I, they don't live in Portland, I don't think. And so they drove up there uh, to go to the thing on Wednesday. So they've got some notes and all that kind of stuff and met with the author of the book that they use. So so. Just look at that. I'll email you those for next Friday, though. But just uh, and I'll an email will go out too for all the folks about Tuesday's clubhouse, reminding people. And then, yeah, the the video once it gets up, I'll I'll let everyone know. But you could take a look at it too of what they talked about um, at the the economic development. Okay. Solid. All right. Thanks, dudes. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Bye. Yes.